So I had breakfast uh, this last week with Harvey Mast. It's crazy how time flies, so he's now in his mid-80s. When I met him, he was in his you know, early 70s and still has his mind keen and sharp. So we went out and had breakfast, and at the end of the breakfast, he, uh, you know, the excuse was we were going to talk about the Gideons because that's a, a ministry he's a part of. But anytime you can get up with Harvey, uh, if that's the excuse, that's fine. Let's, have some, let's eat some scrapple and eggs and, and talk. So at the end, I said, Harvey... Do you have any jokes for me? Because he always has these dumb jokes. He says, oh, I suppose I could, I could give you a joke for the day. He says, well, there are these two fellows, a black guy and a white guy, and they were real close friends, and both of them followers of Jesus, and they were always arguing. Their whole relationship, they were arguing over whether God's black or whether God's white. The whole relationship. I think he's black. No, I think he's white. Back and forth. Then they die in a freak accident at the exact same moment and their spirits are floating up to heaven and on the way to heaven, they're like, I'm telling you, you're going to see he's white. No, I'm telling you, he's gonna, you're going to see he's black. And they, as they arrive in heaven, they hear a joyful greeting of... What, what's the greeting? What do you think it's going to be? I'm hearing guesses. Hola, amigos. Bienvenidos. <laughs> and I thought, Harvey still got it. <laughs> I'd kind of just like to talk off the cuff about some things happening in our culture right now. Um, this is not a prepared sermon. I actually had thoughts, you know, prepared to cast vision into like the restructure and the things happening in the church and... Um, that I'm not feeling it. I just, that's not what I'm, what I'm feeling. So I'm just going to talk about some stuff that I think I see happening in our culture that also seem to be infecting and affecting the body of Christ. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we invite you to continue to breathe on us, just like we sang this morning. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to gather. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to, to know you, to be a part of this world that is yours, that belongs to you to give back to you the breath that you gave to us first. And now I ask, God, that you would give us strength and grace. I ask that you would give us strength and grace to live well, to live well, to please you, to love well. Give us grace to navigate these weird, turbulent times that are not just happening in America, that are happening all over the world right now. Give us grace, God. To not think like the world thinks. Because you don't give like the world gives. You give peace. You give joy. You give hope. Amen. So it seems like in the midst of this pandemic, with people, I mean, especially a few weeks back when we were more isolated, we were more shut in, we were more, uh, had even more uncertainty about the future. It feels like a stir-craziness. I don't know if it's we had more time to think and sit in our anxieties. And how many of you know that when you sit and think with problems and focused on problems, it doesn't, it, you don't get more and more encouraged. The more you sit and stew and think on problems, the bigger they grow in your mind. And the more eventually you think to yourself, something has to be done. And I think we're, we're seeing something happen in, our gener- in my generation where we're so plugged in to the internet that when something happens anywhere, 
all of us everywhere can be instantly sucked in with very minimal knowledge and we can think to ourselves, something has to be done, we gotta ruin that guy's career. It's, it's, it's a cancel culture and it's, it's something that I feel it's like we're, we're, we're becoming more sure of our group and more sure that any group that disagrees with our group is the devil. And we're becoming less open to learning new things and more open to being confirmed in what we think we already know. Nod your head if you see what I'm talking about. If you're liberal, you've become more liberal. If you're conservative, you've become more conservative. If you've been in the center, you're real confused and you're saying, why can't we get along? What is wrong with everybody else? There's a lot more increase of plank speckedness where we have a big log coming out of our face with what's wrong in our life, but we can't see it and we are obsessing over the speck in someone else's eye. There's a lot less capacity to, um, to even have an open heart to the person next to you. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but have you ever been engaged in a conversation with somebody who you were not hearing their experiences of life? You were hearing an ideology. Do you know what I'm talking about? Where you already know what they're going to say before they say it? Because they've taken an ideology, a set of beliefs and values, and they've just put them in their brain, and now that is doing the thinking for them. And that you already know what they're going to say on all these little hot-button issues. You could set up straw figures and fake people, and you could, you could stage a debate on whether the issue is like, is abortion right or wrong? Is, uh, is, is environmental change a dangerous thing? Is Christianity good for the world? Are women oppressed? Is there racism? On all these issues, you could just put in a downloaded ideology, put it in the brains for the, from the conservative perspective and the liberal perspective, and you could set those people on a stage and you already know what both sides are going to say, what they're going to argue for, what information they're going to bring up, and what information they're not. And it's two people that don't, they're not even, we're not even connecting anymore. We're not looking deeply into each other's eyes and seeing another human made in God's image with a unique imprint of his life and with unique life experiences, therefore someone who can teach me something. It's like, have you ever, you know this, right? Like you sit down with any single human on the planet and if you get them telling you a story about their life, what they've experienced and what they've learned through their experiences, that's interesting. That's not boring at all. You know what's boring? When instead of sitting down and seeing a person across from you, you're just having a relationship with an idea, ideology. That's not interesting. Nor is it normal. Carl Jung said, people don't have ideas. Ideas have people. What he meant is, certain people are not actually living in their life. They're just living out a part, a role they're designed to play once they accept the premises of some group that they have affiliated with. And I feel like in the midst of this pandemic, all over the world, but particularly in the United States, we have become even less human. We have become even more programmed. And it's hilarious, if you do any kind of research on this, the way that the Russian bots have, you know, you know me, I don't talk politics in here. This is real weird for me to say this kind of stuff. But the interference in the voting habits of the American public, the, the strategy was not just to stir up those on the right, it was to stir up everyone. It was to provoke division along just the lines I've just described here. 
to get us to stop looking into each other's eyes and seeing each other as brothers and sisters or people who, though we have a lot of different worldviews and a lot of different experiences, are very much alike. We have very much common ground for us to love one another and learn from one another. Instead of that, it's let's see what we can do to provoke people to divide. Because the oldest strategy in the book of the, de- of the, de- of the demonic is what? Divide and conquer. Divide and conquer. And the oldest strategy of God is what? Repentance and forgiveness achieving unity. Repentance and forgiveness achieving unity. The, the virtues in the scripture that, that are, we're, we're pushed, that, that, that the apostles push really hard is for us to take on the humility of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the love of Christ. And what did Jesus say? He said some outrageous stuff. He said, love your enemy. He said, pray for those who persecute you. He said, bless those who curse you. He said, if someone has a problem with you, leave your gift at the altar and go try to be reconciled with your brother. It didn't say if, if you sin against your brother. It said if someone has a problem with you. And you go, well, what in the world? We'll never get to offer anything because anyone who has a problem with us can just pull the, the emergency brakes and then we have to go try to reconcile. Maybe, maybe, I mean, we, we, I don't want to try to take a few verses and like, you know, create an unlivable lifestyle, but Hebrews says, seek holiness, pursue holiness, and peace with all men. As much as it depends on you, pursue peace with all men. I've got them out of order. As much as it depends on you, pursue holiness. Uh, I flipped it again. My brain just doesn't want to put them in the right order. Peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but the, the pursuit of holiness is in tension with peace with all men. Because all men are not seeking holiness, which is to please the Lord, serve the Lord, be, be pleasing to the Lord, means you're going to be wired in such a way that you're swimming upstream against the culture. So how, how can you pair this desire to please God, not people, with a desire to not be overly offensive to people. And the way the New Testament resolves that is, you're going to offend people, but make sure when you offend people, it's not for foolishness. Make sure that when you offend people, it's for obedience. It's for loving Jesus. It's not for being mean. It's not for being rude. It's not for grandstanding on some lesser agenda. And, I, and I, what I'm seeing happen right now in our culture is also happening much closer to home, probably in this church, but also in my family, where it's really easy to let the evil one play on our fears, fears of the future, what's going to happen next, play on our suspicions and our distrust. And instead of asking the question, what's real and what's true? we're often asking the question, who's with me and who's against me? And sometimes we assume people are against us who aren't even thinking of us. And when we, so then friendly fire becomes like a major issue. You know, of course, what I mean by friendly fire, where we think we're shooting at the enemy, but we're actually shooting at our own people. So how much of the time is the evil one, and this is a fascinating concept, right? The whole idea of Paul saying, your, your fight isn't with flesh and blood. 
So how much of the time has a simple misunderstanding been exploited by the enemy to divide relationships that are actually strategic kingdom relationships that should be kept together? We're a lot more patience, a lot less jumping to conclusions, and a lot more asking questions and, making, and learning something could have developed a friendship with someone who will still be in tension with us, but they might round out our vision. Tim, does this solve, what about, what about issues where it's clear and obvious? Like, uh, for me, the pro-life issue is very, very clear and obvious. Well, it is clear and obvious, but you know what gets frustrating is that when liberal policies are applied in environments where a lot of abortions happen, when pro-choice people are in power, abortions go down. That, that puts a hitch in some of my giddy-up. Not because I want pro-choice people in power, but because I want less abortions. I want no abortions, to be honest with you, because I believe all life is sacred. And, I, and I'm fascinated with how someone can, how, I think it's the devil, can sneak the change, the meaning of words so that they don't mean what they obviously mean to where now it's a fetus, it's not a baby, but it was a baby shower three minutes ago. Right? I'm sorry, I'm in the weeds a little bit here, but what I'm saying is like, in real life, it's a little more complicated to get policies in place that help reduce abortions. And sometimes those of us who are so strident on the issue aren't providing a holistic solution that minimizes the reality. It's possible that our ideological enemies might have some stuff to teach us, is what I'm saying. And one of the preachers that I really, really respect is Chris Vallotton. Raise your hand if, if, I, lose, if I lose you. Raise your hand and ask a question, because Stanley told me I talk fast. So, and that's valid, I do talk fast. One of, the, one of my favorite preachers is a prophet named Chris Vallotton. And one of the reasons... He's so interesting and helpful to me is he regularly gets prophetic words for people who vote the opposite of him. He gets called on by God to serve political leaders whose policies he profoundly disagrees with. And I mean profound, like like weep before the Lord, sick in your stomach, profound disagree. The Lord will give him encouraging words to deliver to people that if, if Chris would let the political stuff distract him from the bigger picture, he wouldn't possibly be able to give them a prophetic word. It's almost like Jonah and Nineveh, right? Jonah gets a word, call Nineveh to repentance. And Jonah doesn't want Nineveh to repent. He wants them to be judged and die. He hates Nineveh. God shouldn't even love Nineveh. Jonah's frustrated that God loves Nineveh. But if he lets his own personal hurt from his story, from his He's a person. He lived in history. He has an ethnic group. He has experiences that cause him to go, those are bad people. Don't send me to them. But God has a much bigger view than we do. And, and the kingdom agenda, God will send. See, isn't it fascinating? Even a wicked, think of, think of Daniel. You got, you got Jonah sent to wicked Nineveh, you got Daniel sent to wicked Babylon and told, the exiles are told, Babylon comes in. Again, stop me if you need the backstory. Say, what, what are you talking about? 
There was a time in Israel's history when this huge, huge, uh, powerful country came in and destroyed everything and took a bunch of their people prisoners, just the smart, educated, quality ones that they, could, that they felt could, that they thought were valuable, and they took them back with them to their country. Ha, 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 ha. Now you're going to be our servants. And God told those Jewish people who were taken captivity by evil, evil Babylon, evil. He said, pray for the prosperity of this pagan country. What? Pray for the prosperity of this wicked country that you're in. And you go, what? No, I want to pray for judgment. They're my enemies. I hate them. And God says, I love them and I want them saved. Are you tracking with me? It's a, it's a, it, the strategy is as old as history. The devil wants even God's people to be thinking like the world. Tit for tat, us versus them. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you're my enemy, then you must be God's enemy. And God's like, hold up, guys, I have a way bigger picture. So he wants to send your Jonah to your Nineveh. He wants to send your Chris Vallotton across party lines to have meetings with senators and, and governors and presidents that he didn't vote for and he wouldn't vote for because he doesn't like their policies. To deliver prophetic words with dictators of countries who are oppressive and violent and evil. To talk to them about issues from their childhood. To bring them to inner healing and, re- and, and restoration. To tell the one, one evil dictator to, that, that he's got one last chance and if he continues to treat his wife the way he does, he's done. The, why? Because God loves Sinners. And I, I, I think something can really shift in us if we're not careful where we no longer think of ourselves as people who live by grace. And if we didn't have grace, if we were treated like we deserve, we wouldn't be here right now. It's so easy once we, once we have received grace and it's changed us to start thinking of, us, thinking of ourselves as the good guys and those people who are right where we used to be as the bad guys. And then our vision changes and we get off of God's mission and now we're on a different mission. And so it's like, is your mission to make America Christian a kingdom mission? Or is it actually pretending to be Christian, but it's actually just, I'm for myself and my group. Now, I don't know. God knows. Because I don't know. I I think I know my own heart. But honestly, guys, I don't know my own heart as well as he knows my heart. And I... What I see happen, I know I'm repeating myself at this point, but what I see happening in our country is an extremely effective strategy of divide and conquer, spur us on towards getting more and more sure of ourselves and our little group, and then you get focused in on the little, the little information thing, and it becomes our habit to draw all of our information from a set of people who tell us what we already think. You know what that's called? When you gather around yourself people who only tell you what you want to hear? Starts with an E. It's an echo chamber where you only listen to the news programs and the preachers and the friends who tell you that you're right. And so instead of having an open mind toward truth, now what do you become? You become more and more and more sure of something that's partial and incomplete. And now you're, now you're actually like, again, Carl Jung, do people have ideas or do ideas have people? I love, there's a, there's a psychology, psychiatry, clinical psychiatrist, there you go, named Jordan Peterson, and 
He said, some people, when you sit down and talk to them, they're completely boring. And he said, anytime you're bored in a conversation, you know somebody's not being real, that we're not really being honest. We ha- and it's not that hard to go to the real places. It's not actually, it doesn't take that long, and it's not really that hard to go to the place of depth. It's funny, I have these questions for people. Stan knows that when, it, Stan likes to watch me interview people, because right in about 15 seconds, we get real, fast. Is that correct, Stan? And, and I, so I have incredibly fun amounts. Of, I have fun interviewing people because I'll just say, what's your story? And they go, oh, my goodness. What do you mean, my story? And I go, I just want to know what you... When, when I, that, I said, that's open-ended. You're going to tell me what, what I mean by the word story in, in about a second. Because you might say, well, my story is lately, the past three years, this is what's been going on. And they think I'm asking the question of how did they end up here this morning? Other people answer the question by saying, well, okay, I'll go back to my childhood and I'll tell you about how I grew up. Either way, I'm getting interesting stuff right away. Right? What gets you excited? If you could work a job anywhere for a year that you, can't, that you haven't worked, what, what would it be? What really ticks you off? What really gets you excited? All you got to do is ask simple questions and you get people... None of those will trigger an ideology. There's something so incredibly powerful about, the, about what Jesus put in you and, and this, this is something I think it's very important for us to have sound doctrine, which we don't invent. You don't get to invent new doctrine. We, we, we accept the teaching of the church. But each one of us is called individually into close relationship with Jesus where he is discipling each one of us. So he's taking our lived experience and his word, and by his spirit, he's applying his word to our lived experience, and then we have a unique perspective that when we express it, other people can benefit. That's not, you're not an ideology then. You're a person in relationship with a living person. And, you, and I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like, have you ever seen in a, in a group the people all have the, take on the accent and the physical mannerisms of the leader. You ever seen this? There was a preacher I really enjoyed. Let me see if I can f- copy his, his, his way of talking. The thing of, no, I can't. There was just a way he would talk. And everyone in his denominational group that he, that he led talked like him, told jokes like him, stood like him, dressed like him. It really weirded me out. It was like, when are you going to become you? And that's, that's the, in the kingdom of darkness, it's copies of copies of copies of copies. In the kingdom of darkness, it's ideology. You become controlled. You become just a mouthpiece for a set of things that is the party line. You become the, you become the unintentional tool of Russian bots. Whether they're actual Russian bots or whether it's demons. You just say, drink, buy, do what they tell you to. Hate, love who they tell you to. Believe, don't believe, vote for, don't vote for who they tell you to. Spend your life pursuing goals they told you to. Imagine, imagine some weird thing where life is like we show up in a room and there's ladders and you look around and everyone's climbing the ladders to get up to whatever the next level is. And so you do what everyone's doing because if the crowd's doing it, it must be right. Isn't that what humans would do? If you show up and everyone's walking in one direction, don't you go, I guess that's where we're supposed to go and you start walking in that direction? I've noticed, I've noticed that in like Disney World. 
You don't know where to go. It looks like the people are going that way. Is this the line? Am I in the line? Well, that looks like the entrance, but that looks like a line. I probably shouldn't just go through the entrance. No, go through the entrance. If they'd stop you, then it's wrong. But imagine you're in a room and there's all these ladders and everyone's climbing the ladder. So you just start climbing the ladder too and you get up to the next level and there's people there and they go, okay, now what do we do? And you look and there's more ladders so that up to the next level and everyone seems to be climbing those. Imagine you spend your life climbing ladders to get to the next level and when you get to the top, you realize you haven't enjoyed any of this and you don't even know why you did it. You just did it because they did it. What if you spend your whole life climbing ladders you were never meant to climb because you didn't stop to ask what you actually wanted? What if you didn't even stop to get close enough to God to know what he and you wanted from this one life that you've got? What if, what if instead of being, instead of an idea having you, you had ideas and you had ideas because you had relationship with Jesus and he's interactive and creative What if you learned from saying, Lord, all I want to do is your will, and then he said, that's awesome. Because that's your heart, now I'm going to let you choose what to do next. Because in the Christian life, though it's a good attitude for us to have to say, I'm a slave of Christ, the Lord himself doesn't want slaves, he wants friends. And so he'll say, well, what do you want to do? And I go, what? But if we're willing to surrender everything to him, he's willing to let us try stuff. And so then he gives us a blank check that has his name signed at the bottom, Jesus. And on the top, it says, ask whatever you will. If my word is in you, if you abide in me and my word is in you, then you can ask anything in my name and it will be done for you that you might bear much fruit. Why does it make us bear much fruit? It makes us bear much fruit when we have an interactive relationship with with someone who actually loves us and we realize, My prayers can be answered. This is fun. This is fun. It's fun walking with God. It's it's fun not being a slave to sin. It's fun being free. And so what I see happening in our culture, and and I'm not not saying it's wrong. It's probably right. People are talking about end times deception. People are quoting Matthew 24 because of the increase of wickedness. The love of most will grow cold. He talks about people being deceived and following after false messiahs. He talk, in other words, people, people in their fear will rush to join some movement that claims certainty. Somebody who claims to know something. My entire tribe just came in. Is anyone, like, I see a few of them wearing, yeah, they're all wearing shoes. That's what I always look for because it's always the mad rush on Sunday mornings. Nope, there's one without shoes. There's always the mad rush on Sunday morning. Mom, I can't find my shoes. And we go, we have four pairs of shoes for each of you. Does anyone else, just show of hands, see what I'm talking about? Has Facebook become even more political than it was before, or are we just noticing it more? Like, even something as small as, like, putting on a mask has become an issue where we're ready to, like, run our cars headlong into each other going 80 miles an hour almost. It's just like... You will not tell me what to do. You will be told what to do. I will not. You're unloving. You're unloving. And 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 we're so quick to believe stuff that normally we wouldn't be willing to believe because the distrust level is so high. 
And I know we've always had a problem with authority in this country, but we have such a problem with authority in this country right now that if someone says it, they might be right, but if they're in charge and they say it, they're absolutely sure to be wrong. And if someone claims to be an expert, I know more than them, I've Googled it. I spent five minutes on the internet, you can't tell me nothing. And if someone does or doesn't kneel before the flag at, the, at, at a sports game, instead of letting them explain to us what they're doing, we're telling them what they meant. Well, that's unusual. I talked to Adam Bauer the other day. I said, where are you on Facebook? I can't find you. Because I wanted to Facebook him some money because I like him and I appreciate what he's doing in my life. And that's easier for me than, you know. There's this weird idea, guys, where you can send people things in an envelope. You ever heard of it? It's called mail. It's ve- but you got to go up to a place and buy another piece of paper that you put on that thing. And then they'll take it across the country for like less than a dollar. That is the weird. They used to do it with a horse. It's still, but it just doesn't feel secure to me sending someone something in the mail when I could, anyway. So I said, are you on Facebook? And he goes, no, I'm not on Facebook. He said, (laughs) Adam Bauer said, I got on Facebook for about six weeks and I got really depressed, so I got off and I'm a lot happier. (laughs) Sometimes we think, oh, someone who can't handle that stuff's not mature. No, sometimes people who are mature don't put themselves in dumb situations. They wake up first thing in the morning. Hmm, good morning, Facebook. Better check that immediately. <laughs> Let's see what, what all my friends think and feel, what their opinions are, because nothing's as important as our feelings and opinions. Holy cow, our feelings and opinions. Like that, don't like that. That one makes me angry. Have you heard about this one? I just wonder, I know I've been saying this for a while now, but I just wonder what would happen if we would just kill the radio, kill the TV, kill the internet, keep our Bibles, keep our churches, keep our friends, even kill our podcasts that were so, even kill Trinity Broadcasting Network and and all the Christian podcasts too. I know you guys love them. I love them. I just wonder what would happen though if we actually did what the New Testament church had to do by necessity. They had to read their own Bible, have their own relationship with Holy Spirit, have a relationship with their own congregation so that, so that church was not a, a, an hour on Sunday. Church was a family all week long that went through life together depending on the Holy Spirit because life is crazy. I don't know if you've noticed this, but life's crazy hard. Life's crazy hard. The, at the essence of our faith is a cross. And at the essence of our call to know Jesus is come follow me and die like me, with me, for me. Life's crazy hard. And you actually need the word of the Lord for you, not a word of the Lord for someone else out there somewhere else. And just, I just, what would happen? Some people go, well, I know what would happen. We'd have false teachers everywhere. It's all the cross-pollination that's keeping us healthy. I don't think so. I think a lot of the dumbest ideas that go viral in the church go viral because people aren't listening to their own Bible, their own Holy Spirit, and their own community of faith and their own pastor. 
Like God was more interested in you getting a good, good word from the Lord through your pastor's bad sermon than getting an amazing sermon from somebody who's not your pastor. It sounds like I'm saying, you only got to listen to Tim. No, I don't just listen to me. But you get what I'm really trying to say is, what if? What if we would unplug from this global, national, international thing where we're, our brains are everywhere? If anything happens anywhere, we know about it everywhere because the internet is instant, constant, global, and permanent. Now, now I sound like I'm anti-internet. And I'm not. I'm not a, I, I think the internet is an amazing tool. And the other day I was ranting in the kitchen to Carrie about some of this stuff. I said, I said, you can't even tell me that Jesus would have social media accounts. And as soon as I said it, the Holy Spirit was like, you're wrong, which is not subtle. You're wrong. He said, I'm on all those, and I have millions of accounts. I was like, okay, my bad, my bad, I get it, I hear you. So the question is not, is he on there? He is on there, in his body. Are we doing what we're doing in his spirit. Let me back up, because i got to land this plane at some point here. This is the time. This is the time to be so much more rooted and grounded in who God is. This is the time to put our roots deep down into his presence, into his voice, into his word, This is the time to not be swept into whatever the latest offense that our culture is, like all swept into. This is the time. This is the time to not just reflect the spirit of the age. This is the time to build bridges and ask questions. This is the time to get deeper than ideology Oh, you disagree with me on some really important hot-button issue. Now we can't be friends. There's people I'm friends with. We don't vote the same. We don't believe the same. We don't think the same. We don't live the same. And some of us are just like, oh, we're so uncomfortable with that. What if, what, what does that mean? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I doing my Christian duty if, if I know they don't believe the right things, how am I supposed to be their friend? And others of you are like so evangelistic that that's like super foreign. You're like, what world are you living in? Some of you would say to me, I asked one person, how can I best support you in your calling? And they were like, I don't need nothing from you. <laughs> I said, well, what are your spiritual gifts? I want to understand your calling so I can encourage and support you. Because that's my vision is like, I want to figure out what you're meant to do, and I want to help support you do what you're meant to do, not get you to fulfill my agenda for the congregation, right? Does that make sense? In fact, I don't want us to have services at Gateway's building right here, because you're Gateway, and this is just Gateway's building. I don't want us to have services five nights a week at this building. That would be weird, right? Is the goal to be salt and light in the world? Or is the goal to like hide from the world in church all day and night? Right? Is the goal to have so much going on in this building that we can feel successful? Or is the goal to just be a certain different kind of way in our regular day-to-day jobs? 
where you're salt and light by being kindness in a world that, where kindness is controversial, where kindness is shocking. Uh, a few announcements, things. Um, we, had an, um, we had a fantastic elders meeting the other, the other when, what day was that, Rusty? Was that seriously only Monday? I feel like three weeks have happened since Monday then. We had a fantastic elders meeting. Lots of good stuff's coming down the pike. I'll try to get some sort of summary of what we talked about uh, to the church here sometime soon. We do need to restructure. We're, we're, you, got, you already saw that on Wednesdays, we're going to have church every Wednesday night now. You notice we don't have Sunday schools anymore like we used to. So eventually what would be great is for us to move Sunday schools, what we used to do at Sunday schools, to Wednesday night so that when parents bring their youth to youth, there's something for the parents. And it would be so awesome if eventually we got something also for the little kids so that, so that Wednesday nights became a central thing. On the first and third Wednesday of the month, Stanley leads prayer meeting in here, which is a good time. And on the second and fourth, I'll be teaching in here. But because it's a small setting with a whiteboard, it's just a different, it's a different feel, which I like a lot. But those are just a few of the little things going on. Okay, let's shut this down.